is the Victorian Country Hour with Warwick Long on ABC Radio Victoria. Hello, Warwick Long with the Country Hour today. We spent a lot of time on the program yesterday looking at election policies for agriculture in regional Victoria. There's one industry, though, where the vote this weekend will decide its future. That's the native timber harvesting industry, and we'll have a look at that issue today on the program. We'll also head to the area of Victoria where a road's been cut in two by floodwaters and trade then for agricultural businesses along the road is starting to dry up particularly in that busy lead up to Christmas. Roads actually will be a big part of the show in general with huge amounts of damage and information uh, making it difficult for people to get their work done. All of that and more today on the program right now though. Let's go to Rural News and Annie Plummer again today. Good afternoon Annie. Good afternoon Warwick. A shrinking potato crop across the world could lead to a shortage of frozen fries. It's not just Australia's potato industry that's having supply issues this season. Over in North America and Europe, drought and the high cost of growing the crop has also reduced their production, which means there's less frozen fries available to export. Here's Rabobank analyst Pia Piggott talking about some of the market challenges. So our top four importers are the Netherlands, Belgium, the US and New Zealand, and the US and Uh, the European countries have had the drought conditions and lower production. So there is going to be um, higher prices to export. We've seen in the US um, shipping point prices as of October around 33% higher. Um, So that's going to, you know, lead to higher prices in Australia and in their other exporting countries. Grain growers on floodplains have been desperately trying to salvage some of their crops before floodwaters arrive. Michaeli McCormack is a senior account manager with grain trading platform iGrain, says some of her clients are harvesting high moisture grain and delivering it straight to the end users. We're already seeing some shots in spring. There is some that's come off and it's been fine, but these are massive crops. And again, just with wet weather, same as what we saw at harvest time for the winter crops, just getting on and being able to get off the crop is now becoming a major challenge. So we're seeing shot and sprung grain up there, plus, yeah, inability to get it off. A Warnable-based abattoir is appealing for a lighter sentence after it was convicted following the death of a cattle worker in 2017. 49-year-old Midfield Meats employee Patrick Smith was killed by a bull while on the Dunkeld property yarding cattle, resulting in the company being convicted and fined $400,000 last December. Yesterday, Midfield's lawyer told the Supreme Court the fine was manifestly excessive as there was no direct causal link between the employer's obligations and Mr Smith's death. The decision was reserved by the court, which adjourned after a full day of hearing. A cattle industry analyst says buyers are becoming more cautious with the cattle they're buying this month. At Shepparton this week, some pens were passed in a rare occurrence at sale yards that could be part of a wider trend. Auctions Plus chief economist Tim McRae says his platform is seeing a similar buying trend. We've seen some very cautious buying, and I think that would be um, the best way to sort of talk about particularly the feedlot side of the 
of the industry is very cautious. I mean, costs are through the roof on everything, um, and that's really the big difference, I think, from previous years. Um, you know, we've had big, big harvests the last two years with the wet season, but I think this year the cost of everything is through the roof, um, and I think that's going to make a lot of operators a lot more cautious. I think after Christmas, post-Christmas is going to be the really interesting time. A high security collection of the wine industry's most important assets is being developed. As Megan Hughes reports, it will look to protect wine's most important grape varieties for future generations. While not under 130 metres of permafrost, this plan is a similar concept to the Doomsday Vault. 25 of Australia's most valuable varieties and their clones kept in a high security lab. As collection coordinator Nick Dry explains. We're looking to develop a what's called a vine integrity collection. So that's a, a much smaller collection uh, held in slow growth tissue culture. So if you can imagine little grapevines in test tubes inside a lab. Uh, and so that the beauty of that collection is it's it's safe from you know catastrophic environmental conditions, but also uh, any pests uh, and diseases. The National Grapevine Collection, or NGC project, is being funded by Wine Australia, with supporting kind from other industry stakeholders. And for today, that's rural news. Got plenty of suggestions in what wines could be uh, better stored to. Uh be there for future generations? Oh, I think I'll keep that to myself, though. Annie, thank you for that. Annie Plummer there with Rural News. You're listening to The Country Hour. Coming up, we'll have a look at some of the damage to roads and so forth and what that's doing to producers and uh, people who live along some of those key arterials who are dealing with some of the difficulties. But we'll start today next talking about the timber industry. The Victorian Country Hour with Warwick Long on ABC Radio Victoria. When Victorians head to the polls this weekend, the fate of one industry will be decided. Victoria's native timber harvesting industry has two clear paths for the future and how Victorians vote will decide which path it takes. Peter Somerville's been following this and can join you now with more. Peter, welcome back to the Country Hour. And it's rare that there's such a clear difference for the future of an industry depending on an election result, but that's what we have here. Yeah, thank you, Warwick. Good afternoon. Um, it is. And the thing that comes to mind uh, when you say that for me is that probably the people in the fishing industry would say they were the last ones who were in this situation. But uh, I guess in this case here, we have a situation where, as you say, the election will really determine the outcome of an industry and its people. Uh, we have Labor pressing ahead with its plan to phase out native timber harvesting by 2030. Uh, but at the same time, a, a commitment from the coalition that it would reverse that decision. But um, as we've heard over the past few weeks, there's quite a lot else uh, going on in the industry at the moment as well. You have a Labor promise saying the industry would end within the next eight years or a coalition promise saying they would reverse that. A myriad of, of minor parties as well involved with different positions on timber industries too. Yeah, that's right. And the interesting thing uh, that we should note about the Labor uh, promise or commitment as well is uh, my understanding is it it's kind of forward loaded i guess if that's a word as well so the uh, the industry would continue theoretically uh, court case aside at current volumes until i think it's 2024 or 2025 and then uh, taper off 
from there. Yeah, so it's not a hard end. It's a uh, actually over the next eight years there would be a number of, of closures and shrinking of the industry under the policy. That was the theory, yeah, that if this uh, court case, which has imposed a lot of injunctions and, uh, of course, there has been a lot of disruption through that, if that hadn't have happened, the theory was that it would have continued as normal uh, status quo uh, for the next year or two at least. So let's pick up then on the court case. You, you, you mentioned that before as looming over this. It's not only an industry that's being decided by an election result. There's been a major court decision during the campaign as well. Yeah, that's right. Just in the past few weeks, that's all been finalised. There were some uh, interlocutory injunctions, so interim injunctions placed on logging, uh, but the Supreme Court of Victoria has found that Vic Forests essentially needs to do more in surveying for a uh, the greater glider, which is an endangered um, animal found in many coops in Victoria, uh, and also has imposed harvest restrictions where they're found. But now I guess the challenge for Vic Forests is working out how it can deal with that uh, judgment and with the restrictions and how it can work around all of that. So, so the court case itself has, has probably placed a limit on how the industry can operate? Yeah, Exactly. So how are communities and those involved in the industry feeling about the election and these decisions affecting the, their futures? There's really a lot of angst, which, as you would understand, um, comes from that uncertainty. We, we should note we are just talking about the native timber harvesting section here, so uh, none of this has anything to do with managed forestry. Uh, but still, we're talking about hundreds of jobs across the state. And I was at a rally in Morwell late last week, and there were estimates of two or 300 people there, 100 trucks in a yard. Perhaps we should go to some of the people at that protest. Um, so we'll start here, Warwick, with Felicia Stevenson. She's from Forest and Wood Communities Australia, um, speaking about the mental health toll that this is taking uh, on people in the industry. I really think that people have to realise that it's not just these loggers and the timber workers and the truck drivers, it's the kids and it's the families and they go on about mental health and they're putting a really big mental strain on the people in the bush, their wives and their kids and it's unnecessary. Warwick Felicia Stevenson from Forest and Wood Communities Australia speaking there at that rally in Morwell on Friday. So, so Peter, we're left in this situation where literally an, an election result might decide which way this industry goes into the future. Has there been much discussion either at that protest or more widely about a future for timber workers in other industries if, if Labor does win government? Yeah, so this is, uh, of course, a commitment that Labor has been um, pursuing for a couple of years now. And there is already some programs in place, uh, one that comes to mind particularly in Orbos. There's a big project there looking at, I guess, future opportunities for the town and um, how they can capitalise with the assets, the infrastructure, the people, the industries that they've already got in place and how uh, some of those opportunities might be opened up to people from the timber industry. Uh, this is Brett Dennis from Orbost. He's talking about how uh, while we are having this discussion about timber and logging and the future of that, uh, there's also other things that we should be thinking about as well. It's devastating for um, myself and my family and our whole community. Uh, there's so many people here where they're, they're generational, where they've been taught amazing skills and they're there ready to answer the call 
when we do have disasters like fire and flood uh, or whether it be just during the year with, with various... We, we don't always just answer the call of pr providing a timber product. We're there when the government and other sectors call on us for help. We're, we're there for them and we've always been there for them. But once we're gone, who's going to be there for them? Warwick, uh, Brett Dennis there from Orbos. Probably a good time to mention as well, there is a greens forestry policy where essentially they would address that issue and uh, pay timber industry workers to, I guess, be on a, a retainer and they're ready to go in times of bushfire. Um, but I think that the criticism from the industry fairly broadly has been that quite clearly hasn't been costed. So, Pete, in terms of either the, the protest or what people in the industry have been um, telling you, how do they feel? They're, they're in an industry probably spread across, what, five or six electorates in Victoria, but literally the future of their industry will be decided about how everyone in Victoria votes. Is is that a difficult position for them to be? Yeah, this, it, it is. And they're certainly um, trying to swing votes. And, you know, in, in their words, a vote for Labor is a vote to end their industry, which must be a really uh, confronting situation to be in, I guess. But but of course, in amongst all of this, uh, many of these seats where logging and native timber harvesting happens are already safe coalition seats. So I guess a campaign to, to try and swing votes away from Labor in that part of the world. But of course, we have just come out of a pandemic. Uh, there's inflation. There's all sorts of other things happening. And I guess the reality is that the timber industry is not top of mind for the majority of people when they head to the polling booth this Saturday. Yeah, the timber industry vote will not decide the election, but the election will decide the future of the native timber harvesting industry, Pete. Thank you, Peter Somerville, our reporter there, taking you through the situation and what that industry is facing as it goes towards uh, the election this weekend. And we'll keep following that. Uh, and if you missed yesterday, we actually had a full sort of election preview looking at agriculture and rural Victoria and where parties stand, not just even the majors, some of the policies from a lot of the minor parties as well. You can go back and find that in our podcast, Victorian Country Hour. Just search that wherever you get a podcast you can have a listen to. You can find it online as well. Just click on the link and have a listen back to that program at your own leisure. And you can uh, see sort of how things stand as we head towards this weekend. We're more than a quarter of you that are eligible to vote have already voted. Let's move away from the election, though, and talk about the state of roads due to flooding in areas of Victoria. In the northeast of Victoria, a giant sinkhole caused by floodwaters has cut a regional road in two. Guramatta Road, just outside of Rutherglen, has been closed for over a week after a large chunk of the road was washed away. And if you haven't seen the pictures of this, it's absolutely incredible. It's like someone's taken a slice out of a middle of a raised road. Uh, leaving a mighty big hole you could not drive through in in between. Both sides of the road are still open. However, agritourism businesses along the road say it's already causing a decline in visitors in the lead-up to Christmas. Owner of Guramatta Olives, Melanie Coyd, says locals have dubbed it Guramatta Gorge, and she told Annie Brown how it unfolded over the last week. In the morning, there was water over the road and the local Indigate Shire were putting signs across to say that there was water across the road. By the afternoon, a fairly large sinkhole had opened up. The Shire were fairly quick in dealing with that. But by the evening, so late afternoon, evening, the road had absolutely totally collapsed and um, 
there was a six metre wide and about a two metre deep ravine. The locals here have christened it the Gurramatta Gorge. Council then putting concrete barriers on the Monday evening um, and they put up fencing and um, barricades. So the road in Gurramatta here is cut. The locals can still access the road. The road's safe. The businesses in this area, so John Gehrig Wines, Morris Wines, Gurramatta Olives and Earth Care Farm are all trading. Just the way you access us and get to us is down the Murray Valley Highway now. Has that impacted business or numbers, do you think? Are you seeing less people come to the farm? Uh, it most definitely has impacted. So we've had one weekend of trading since the Gurramatta Gorge has turned up. Um, I'd say trade here is down 75%. We're heading into Christmas, so it's really usually full on because people are catching up with family prior to Christmas. So it's usually pretty busy. So, And we usually gauge how busy it is by whether or not Rob gets to come up to the house for lunch because on a busy day he doesn't. He's in the, in the cellar door all day long. Yeah, but got to come and have lunch both days on the weekend. So, um, <laughs> And he was up in the house for quite a long time before the, the gate buzzer went off. You mentioned that it's been dubbed Gurumata Gorge by the locals. You also told me earlier that you had a, a street party there not so long ago at the gorge. <laughs> it sounds like it's become a bit of a focal point for well, the neighbours. You know, you've got to stay positive. Gurumata Road, Upriver Road, is a, a very, very long road. We all know each other. The community out here has an annual get-together, um, the Browns Plains Dinner. So we decided that we should have because the road was closed off in that section, we should have a street party. So we did have a street party last Saturday night. Um, we took our chairs and andibles and our and a few a few ales, and um, was really good. Was nice. <laughs> good to see each other. I think we are. There's some talk about decorating the um, the barriers <laughs> or the fencing with Christmas decorations. That would be so, nice. Um, there may possibly be a Christmas street party. What does it look like when you're there? Is it kind of amazing to, to look at and see this huge hole in the road? It's exceptionally impressive. Okay, it, um, if you sort of think of the Grand Canyon, uh, it sort of bring, uh, brings up those sorts of images. The soil's quite um, strated, so there's different colours in the soil levels. It's got to be at least... Uh, at least two metres deep. They've still got water running through it. Yeah, not a lot, not as much as it originally was, but it's still got water running through it. It's quite peaceful out there because the, there's no trucks coming, there's no cars coming through. People are coming out to have a look. They're parking their car on the side of the road, getting out and coming to have a look. So, um, yeah, maybe it'll turn into a tourist destination. You also, you're an olive grove and you, you also grow capers as well. What's the rain and all this this wet spring and summer been doing for your olives and capers this year? Uh, it's rained so much that the, the soil is super saturated. So, And now the soil can't absorb any more water. So what's happening is the water is just running off. The olives are in flower. It looks like we will have a good season with the olives, but the capers don't like wet feet. We haven't been able to get, because it's so wet, get any machinery or vehicles onto the groves, which has meant that the grass can't be mowed. If we need to do any spraying of the trees, and we use organic practices here, but we can't get any equipment on to do any of that type of work, which makes it quite difficult. So we haven't had to irrigate, which is a good thing, 
but um, it's super wet here, so it will impact. We do also have bees here. We have a couple of hives on the grove here, and it has been so wet that the bees have not produced any honey, only enough for their own food um, source, but there's no estate-grown honey. That's Melanie Coyd, who owns Gurumatta Olives, uh, speaking there to Annie Brown. We contacted Indigo Shire Council, who are, in the process about, who are in the process of repairing roads. They said at this current time they can't give a time frame until they appoint a contractor as they need to replace the culvert as well. Interesting idea to go have a street party on the road that's cut up from, uh, from flooding. <laughs> All power to them. Such a small community thing to do. You're listening to The Country Hour. It is 25 past 12. And speaking of roads, a major freight route in the Mallee has been closed after the road surface, surface broke up so badly it became impassable. The condition of the Robin Vale Sea Lake Road has long been a sore point for farmers and other road users and in 2019 a protest was actually held calling on government to deliver upgrades. It had been... A reinstatement of the uh, the sp- high speed limit of that road and uh, some work had been done but it appears to have disintegrated again. Brian Barry is a grain grower at Kakamba south of Menangatang. He says that closure along with others around the district are going to cause big problems this harvest. So major transport road for grain and irrigated fruit and veg and what have you out of, out of the Robinvale region and, and Weeman and area. Um, so it, it's shut about five or six k's south of Manangatang and both lanes are completely punched through and it's it's just slopped so um, it got closed yesterday. And Ryan I've seen some pictures and it's a it's meant to be a bitchman road but the section we're talking about not much bitchman to be seen now. No 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 it's just pushed through there's been water laying out the side of the road for the last couple of months there um and it's just seeped under the under the road and 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 turned 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 the underneath to to slop and um yeah you can you can see either side of it where the bitumen's slowly moving and working as well so it's it's just going to keep getting bigger until we can move some of the water away or refill it with with something better and that road closure, uh, other road closures and other probably imminent road closures, what are they all going to mean for just getting around, getting kids to school, getting grain carted? How is all that going to work? Um, well, we can't get to Manang Grain Corp site now from, from where we are unless we basically go oh, probably back across to, to Nile West, up the Murray Valley Highway to Pyangle and back around, which would be a probably a 110 or 20k trip for a, we're only 10k's from the, the silo here where we live um, all the side gravel shire roads most of the most of those roads are impassable because there's been water laying on them for the last couple of months so there was a header bogged just on one of the side roads about 6 or 7k's from home here um, I know another fellow that was towing his hay baler down the road and it sank on him about 3 weeks ago just broke through the through the surface of the dirt road and, and disappeared. Um, yeah, so we're praying we can keep the roads open that we've got still open, but I think I think they're just going to deteriorate badly over the next couple of weeks. Like we've only no one's really started harvest yet, so it's it's not even new seasons grain that's causing the issues. It's just um, standard truck movements that we normally get without without the harvest pressure. 
And there is a partial closure of the of the Murray Valley Highway with a detour between Robin Vale and Pyangle via Menangatang. So those roads, how are they going to hold up when when they're having all of that highway traffic added on top of the usual traffic? Um, I don't know. Probably not very well. Um, we had our protest in Manang a couple of years ago about the Robin Vale Sea Lake Road when we um, when they dropped the speed limit down to 80, and I think we've been, we're up to about 17 million. The various government departments have promised us, but. So far, I think there's been about three k's of bitumen laid in the last two and a half years since those promises were made, and I think they've strung a bit of cable up near Robinvale somewhere as well, which we don't really want cable, we just want bitumen to drive on. But yeah, so the last two and a half years, that promised road upgrade hasn't happened, um, other than they built the shoulders up initially and, and reopened the speed limit, but there's been no no new work done other than three or four k's of, of new bitumen um, so that's pretty frustrating. The road should be in a lot better shape than what it is. And that probably goes to my next question. I mean, various authorities have been fairly quick to blame the state of the roads on the wet season we've had and the flooding, but you're saying that a lot of the issues predate this season. Yeah, yeah. Well, we had a terrible drought last year in our little region through here. Um, so road building season was open for, for 12 months last year because we only had about... 150 or 60 mils last year and it could have been done then. There's certainly been ample time to have done those remedial works on the Robinvale Sea Lake Road and over the years we've been hassling council about making our roads even even the, the standard six metres they're supposed to be but they keep getting narrower. I thought our roads were made for us to drive on and to do our business but apparently they're They've got higher purposes than that. That's Brian Barry, a grain grower at Kakamba, south of Menangatang there, speaking with Angus Verley. You're listening to the Country Hour for Weather Report on the way as we head into the, well, head towards the weekend. And uh, after that, we'll continue a bit of a chat about the roads, but head to the outback where it's not only road problems, it's fly problems as well. Right now, though, let's find out what's making regional news headlines with Alex Darling. Good afternoon, Alex. Good afternoon, Warwick. Making news, a 45-year-old man has been sentenced to serve more jail time after causing a crash in 2020 which killed beloved Ballarat woman Kylie Pope. Miss Pope was a passenger in a car with her L-plate son on Colac Ballarat Road near the town of Napoleons in October 2020 when their vehicle stalled during a U-turn. Ross Blackmore was cresting over a hill in his vehicle and hit the stalled car at 130 kilometres an hour, more than double the speed limit, while on drugs. The former concreter was sentenced to seven and a half years in prison with a minimum parole period of five years. Police have seized drugs believed to be worth $180,000 from a Kyala property near Shepparton after a search yesterday morning. Police found alleged methamphetamine, suspected MDMA and cannabis, a baton, a conducted energy device and more than $12,000 in cash at the Grey Box Way property. A 32-year-old Kayala man is in custody after being issued with a range of charges, including trafficking a commercial quantity of methamphetamine. A man has been charged with culpable driving causing death following a fatal car crash in Horsham on Tuesday. Three vehicles allegedly collided around 12pm on a stretch of the Western Highway known as McPherson Street, and a 56-year-old Horsham woman lost her life. The 30-year-old Jung man in another vehicle was taken to hospital following the crash, and he fronts the magistrate today. 
A regional politics expert says voters will be disenfranchised if they test positive for COVID before the election. There is one drive-through centre for COVID-positive voters set up on the outskirts of Melbourne, but none in regional Victoria. Voting by phone is no longer an option for people with the virus since the emergency declaration ended. Latrobe University's Eden Tullock says regional people should vote early in case they are exposed to COVID. While the Victorian Electoral Commission says there wasn't enough time to find and lease a large enough regional premises, and it says it will take COVID into account when it comes to enforcing compulsory voting laws. And an Echuca pub owner has been fined $5,000 and court costs after he was found guilty of breaching lockdown restrictions last year. Trevor Andrews was found guilty in the Echuca Magistrates Court to breaching the directions of Victoria's Chief Health Officer after he kept operating his pub in July 2021. Judicial Registrar Alison Vaughan said the charge had been made and was not persuaded by Mr Andrews' arguments that it was unlawful to make the charge. During sentencing yesterday, she acknowledged Mr Andrews, like many other business owners, suffered during the pandemic, but also that his breach was significant and deliberate. And Warwick, that's the latest. Thanks, Alex. Alex Starling there with regional news headlines. On ABC Radio Victoria, you're with Warwick Long for the Victorian Country Hour. A couple of your thoughts on texts coming in. Uh, Warwick re-roads, ask your listeners, when was the last time they saw a greater properly clean out table drains and water runoffs along the roads? We're probably seeing the result of that now, aren't we? Thanks for that text. This one says, hi, Warwick. Uh, I find this logging debacle quite disturbing. Our government continues to lock up forested areas year after year, creating areas for horrendous bushfires and destroying people's livelihoods. But when they want to install more wind turbines, hundreds of thousands of old growth trees just get dozed out with no questions asked, says Chris. Uh, This one says, timber is a renewable resource. Why are people so against logging in this country? We have the capability to manage the timber sustainably and responsibly in Australia when the alternatives sourcing it from another country uh, isn't it isn't likely to be managed sustainably or using steel which is made from a non-renewable resource maybe there needs to be a review of uh, mismanagement of national parks particularly in regards to fire management and containment practices that have resulted in far more devastation to native wildlife than logging has or will and this one says sustainable forests or bushfires you choose that comes from Vince uh, more text coming in as well and Steve says please remind everyone to keep an eye out for fly strike found eggs and maggots on 10-week-old lambs, says Steve. We'll talk about some of those problems as well shortly. Right now, though, let's find out what's happening weather-wise around our state. Michael Efron is a senior forecaster with the Bureau of Meteorology. Good afternoon, Michael. Oh, let's try and make sure we've got you there. Hold on two seconds, Michael. We're coming to you. How about now? Are you there? I am. How are you, oh, There we go. That was completely my fault, but we found you. <laughs> uh, and I'm glad because my heart rate started to go up. We need a weather forecast. <laughs> How's it looking today, we mate? We do. Yeah, it's uh, another uh, pretty settled day for the state. Um, a bit more cloud cover in the south compared uh, to northern districts and some very light isolated shower activity over uh, southern parts as well. Already temperatures uh, into the low 20s across the northwest, but with that cloud in the south, they're a bit cooler. Uh, we're headed for tops uh, this afternoon uh, around the mid-20s across the north and high teens to low 20s uh, in the south. Still a number of flood warnings out, so that the minor to major flood warning for the Murray and elsewhere 
uh, we still have a moderate flood warning for the Loddon River and then a, a number of minor flood warnings. Some of those have been uh, finalised, including for the Snowy uh, and for the Seven and Castle Creeks. So some easing uh, in conditions uh, taking place with very little rainfall uh, over the last few days. But as we head into Friday, we see a high-pressure system uh, crossing uh, southern Victoria, so pretty settled again. Maybe some uh, isolated light showers again through the central district in Gippsland uh, during the morning, otherwise dry and partly cloudy with light winds and uh, a little bit warmer compared to today, looking at uh, the low to mid-20s in the south, uh, mid to high 20s in the north, uh, getting up to 30 at Mildura. So a really settled day on Friday. And then on Saturday, we see northerly winds starting to pick up ahead of the next change, which pushes into the west of the state during the late afternoon and then towards central Victoria uh, near midnight. Uh, ahead of that, uh, quite a warm day, especially in the northwest. So uh, for most of the state, temperatures in the mid to high 20s, but in that uh, Mallee region, looking at 32 at Swan Hill, 35 at Mildura. We are looking at elevated fire dangers as well through the northwest with those warm and windy conditions. Uh, and in terms of rainfall, uh, we do see uh, some showers and isolated storms developing in the west with that change and then getting into uh, central parts uh, at night. Generally, one to five millimetres with that, possibly up to 15 uh, with some uh, thunderstorm activity. Um, but overall, not, not a lot of rainfall uh, with that system. And then as we head into Sunday, we see that change crossing eastern districts. So a few showers there uh, with some isolated thunderstorm activity in the morning and afternoon, looking at one to five millimetres, perhaps some slightly higher falls along the eastern ranges, so five to 15 there on Sunday. And it will be a cooler day across the state uh, with temperatures uh, in the south back to the high teens or low 20s, low to mid 20s through the north. and then we push into next week, we do see a high-pressure ridge extending from the west uh, for Monday and Tuesday. So that means isolated showers continue in the south, staying dry across the north. Still quite cool uh, temperatures through southern parts in the high teens, low to mid-20s across the north. And then for Wednesday and Thursday, it does start to warm up a bit more with that high edging closer to western Victoria. So Wednesday, partly cloudy in the south, sunny across the north, temperatures in southern parts into the high teens or low 20s and mid-20s across our northern districts. So overall, not much rainfall expected over the next week, but in terms of the warm weather, it's fairly uh, short-lived with uh, just Saturday really looking like uh, a warm day, but other than that, temperatures uh, below average for this time of year. Yeah, Michael, it's probably the longest period of time without a significant rain event we've had for months. Absolutely, and, and I think uh, a lot of people would be uh, looking forward to uh, relatively dry conditions given um, the conditions that we've had. Uh, but in terms of the, the warm days, it's still waiting for a, a run of um, above average temperatures across the state. We just seem to be getting one-off warm day uh, at the moment. 
Yeah, and is there anything other than the flood warnings, which are thankfully mainly minor now, except for along the the Murray and the uh, I think there's a moderate still on the Loddon, isn't there? But uh, is there anything else in the warnings that we need to be aware of? No, I think that's it. No, it's it's really a settled um, stretch of weather. Uh, I guess the only thing um, Saturday night with those storms coming through, potentially some gustier winds uh, developing, but other than that. Um, relatively settled stretch coming up. Fantastic, Michael. Thanks for the update. Thanks, Warwick. Senior forecaster at the Weather Bureau, Michael Efron. Probably a popular man today given uh, the dry forecast, which we really haven't had many many periods of dry forecast over the last few months. And uh, it's good to hear, really, isn't it? Even though it's not going to be particularly warm. Just a couple more texts, particularly on logging coming through at the moment that I'll read to you. Joe says, there's nothing sustainable about Vic Forest's illegal logging practices. Regrowth forests burn a lot hotter and more frequently than old growth forests. Jules, though, says... Uh, where are all these voters when the bush is on fire? A lot of tracks are not safe for firefighters. Locals who live close will be the ones who suffer, especially if the bush workers don't show up with their machines and experience to help stop the fire. Small amount of trees lost in logging is nothing compared to death and loss in the aftermath of fires, says Jules. And uh, Nigel at Vespa says... Uh, G'day was listening to the radio. Wind and wood are both renewables. I can't see the difference. How's that? says Nigel, 0467-842-722 if you want to send a text. Uh, and on roads, this one just says, watch out on the Loddon Valley Highway near Durham Ox and Appen South. And uh, Harry says, ah, the irony of damaged roads when uh, we are dependent on heavy vehicles. Who's going to pay to rebuild them? Why, the taxpayer, of course, says Harry on the text line as well. You can keep those thoughts coming in. Let's talk some roads and pests and flies a little bit further afield now because roads are cut flies are causing issues with sheep and sales are falling through it's just another day on the road for local stock agents to deal with on the edge of the outback sarah mcconnell spoke with agent troy hardman who hasn't seen anything like what he's going through now in at least 15 years stock movements have been very difficult probably for the last five or six weeks and the last two or three weeks especially, it's uh, almost impossible to get stock either in or out. We've had people want to purchase stock and uh, would love to but just can't get them in. And uh, other people that have purchased stock from here want to get them out. It's the first time in 15 years as me being an agent that I've actually sold some cattle and the deal's been done. And five weeks later, both parties have just shaken their head and said, look, just forget about it, it's just too hard. Of road closures, uh, extra distances um, with the freight component now because fuel's so dear. The freight's a big issue, let alone tacking another two or three hundred extra kilometres on it to get around floodwaters. Just makes it very expensive to um, cart stock. What sort of money are we looking at here? Uh, well, money for carting the stock, you know, with the fuel rises, it's gone up sort of dollar fifty a kilometre. So, uh, yeah, significant amount when you're doing 800 to 1,000 Ks at, um, per head basis comes back to a significant increase. And, yeah, if you've got to, as I said before, tack on two or 300 extra kilometres to get around water, then, you know, it's quite expensive. Yeah, so in your time you've never seen anything like it? No, not really. We've had hold-ups before in 2010 and 11 and 16 of, you know, sort of two and three weeks. And, you know, we've just held on to the stock until they can get out. But, 
you know, as I said, this has gone on five or six weeks or seven, maybe even more in some cases, and it's so widespread. Like, you know, this fellow that brought the cattle was down in southern Victoria, but we were stuck both ends, his end and our end in the end, to um, we couldn't just couldn't get them out. Or we could get them probably part the way to Ningen. He'd have to put the stock on adjustment, and then the possibilities there of having further closures, it was just just a headache. And, um, anyway. Most places that you look after, have they got all stock back on deck or are they still looking to purchase more and um, get their uh, uh, breeding stock back up and running? Yeah, well, with the amount of feed and the rain and feed that we've had lately, I don't think there'd be any properties in the Western Division that could say they're fully stocked or not many if, if there is any. So um, it's just a good opportunity at the moment to capitalise on the huge body of feed that's in front of them and... Um, purchase extra stock to um, you know, maybe turn around three or four months' time, you know, buy them a bit lighter and sell them nice and fat and make a few dollars in the short term. Yeah, have you heard any issues um, about flies and um, the borer flies at all with the sheep? Oh, yeah, yeah, very widespread spread problem at the moment. A lot of people losing big numbers of sheep and, yeah, consistently treating them, jetting them, for flies and still having a battle, even um, a few dorper breeders <laughs> get a few flies in the dorpers, which doesn't happen very often. But um, yeah, it's definitely a big problem and the grass seed issue as well. So uh, yeah, unfortunately, with a good season comes a lot of extra problems. We've had drought now, rain and losing stock due to flies. It's big money losses again all around. Oh, absolutely huge. Yeah, it's funny, and if you turn the clock back two or three years. And you're losing stock because they had nothing to eat and now you're losing them from flies and grass seed and whatnot. So, uh, but anyway, the yeah. ones that are here are in very good nick and worth a, a pretty penny. So, Going back to the roads, there's um, a heap of problems like with the ceiling and stuff, so that's all going to lift. So that's going to take longer again until it gets right. all fixed and then you'll be able to move stuff around. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's a lot of damage done to a lot of roads, so it's not going to happen overnight. Um, there'll just be basic repairs done, I guess. In the meantime, to um, to get trucks trucks through, but um, yeah, it's going to take a long time to get them back to normal. And you know, the forecast is for a um, a wet summer, so this could sort of potentially carry on into next year, and who knows. At Sarah McConnell uh, speaking with stock agent Troy Hardman in Broken Hill in far west New South Wales about, uh, well, the weather conditions and what that's meaning for their uh, their uh, well, the farmers and what they're dealing with at the moment, which is just extraordinary weather times, isn't it? Although, as we've just heard, dry period coming up, which is always nice. Now, I know we've been talking a lot about stock losses due to flooding. Uh, it's when we're talking stock, we're not just talking animals like sheep and cattle as well. A beekeeper has lost around 360 hives due to flooding on the Hay Plains. The Chikomoama beekeeper Bradley Jackson says it's wiped out 30% of his stock. He told Kelly Hollingworth it's the most challenging season he's ever faced. And it's been hard watching when you can't get to them and the water is, um, keeps rising and you're trying to pull them out of the water and you can't. It's pretty heartbreaking watching your stock um, drown like that, I suppose you could say. This is on the Hay Plains. Um, that's the most significant part I've had out there and the flooding has been rising faster than I can get to them. Um, the rain, it's rained that much. The countries that wet the ground that you can't, um, you can't actually move some places 
can't drive trucks or loaders even walking me. Are any more of the hives that you've got at risk, do you think? Uh, yeah, if it, if it continues to rise in um, places, yeah, there'd be a lot more, yeah. A lot more hives um, of bees will be um, affected, yeah, most definitely. Are you looking at trying to relocate them or is it too late to do that? Uh, we've been trying to do that the best we can. Um, we'll consistently keep at it until we can get them all out um, to higher ground. A lot of um, farmers, I will say, have been really, really helpful. Um, you know, in close contact with me and that just letting us know that it's coming better, it's higher, or, you know, the bank might bust, um, and actually helping us try to uh, get the stock out, So, which has been good. You were telling me earlier that you feel like you've been chased by floodwaters. So where did your first challenges with rising rivers and rainfall come from? From the Darling River. I um, started up there at the start of the season. As you know, the Darling River has been a flood. There's a lot of water up there there's been. And it just, as I uh, moved away from it, and again, it rained and rained up there on the Darling River um, earlier in the season. And um, it's... I, trying to move them to get away from there, which we did. We lost no hives at all up there, luckily. Very, very lucky I was. And as we've come down, each river has just risen again and again and again due to the rain. So, um, yeah, that's just it's chased me from the Darling River, I suppose, to the Murray. There are a lot of Victorian beekeepers who take their hives into New South Wales. Why is that such a popular thing to do? The first quarter of the season... Um, most Victorian beekeepers have to come up into New South Wales to get the um, earlier flower because the spring's much earlier. It's much warmer, much earlier. And uh, that's one of the main reasons they do that. Are these hives that you've lost insured? They are insured, but not for flood water. Are you likely to try and replace them? Yeah, I will try to replace them, um, which I will. Um, as the uh, water receives, we'll get what's uh, recoverable, um, which most probably nothing really will be out of them. Um, the boxes will be, uh, be uh, all waterlogged and cracked, so when they dry out. So I'll uh, yeah, most definitely try and um, rebuild them immediately as soon as the water goes. Now, Echuca, where you're based, was in strife last month because of flooding. Did you have any problems with your beehives there? Yeah, no, not in Echuca we didn't. No, Echuca, uh, Moema, no, none, none whatsoever. I made sure they're on high ground. Some water did get underneath the pallets of the hives, but not enough to uh, flood the hives out. You've been in the industry for nearly 34 years. Is this the most challenging season you've faced? <laughs> yeah, I'd have to say that. Yeah, yeah, this one would be. Uh, my father talked in 1974 about the floods then and the droughts and the stuff had gone over the years. Um, and like I've been in the industry a long time. I've seen a lot of things come and go. Um, I'm pretty sure I'll see a few more come and go before I'm finished. But this would have to be, for me, one of the most challenging ones. Um, the times are in now. I'm quite sure most other beekeepers would be in the same boat, would uh, have to agree with me on that one. It's a Chukamoama beekeeper, Bradley Jackson, speaking with Kelly Hollingworth. And I really do, I think 22 might be our 74. Maybe that's a talk back for another day where we, we, we stay, what is the, the year we're all going to tell our grandkids about and constantly talk about, but... This one might just be it. Hey, let's quickly just hear from an event that's been in Canberra. An alliance of food producers and distributors took to Canberra uh, and Parliament House calling for a national food security plan. The National Food Supply Chain Alliance represents convenience store operators, farmers, meat workers, independent retailers, hospitality workers, warehouse and transport operators. And its spokesman, Richard Forbes, says a plan is required. 
What we're facing is quite unprecedented in that we have multiple long-term threats to the food supply chain. The two long-term threats that are go aren't going anywhere are really severe weather events. We've seen 11 catastrophic weather events in the last three years. We have 170,000 workers that we need in the supply chain that we don't have. So we are short 170,000 workers. So no pickers for fruit and vegetables, no truck drivers to distribute uh, food. So that's not going anywhere uh, as well. So it's quite unprecedented. In order to try and stabilise rising food prices, what we're calling for is quite unheard of, but we need it because of changing times, and that is the establishment of a national food security plan where we look at all the disruptors, we bring them together under one strategy. We've never had a food plan. We have a renewable energy plan. We have an education plan. We don't have a national food plan. Unless we have a national food supply chain strategy, food prices will continue to increase. We believe 6 to 7% next year, putting more pressure on Australian families, and this could last even longer because we know that these severe weather events are going nowhere. The State of the Climate report came out today. They're talking about longer droughts, longer heat waves, uh, more fire days and heavier rainfall events. So we're here to, and we've been meeting with government and opposition, calling on them from industry to support the establishment of a national food security plan. In our view, that's the only way that we can help stabilise food prices and reduce the food shortages that you've been seeing on your shelves. That's Richard Forbes speaking on behalf of the National Food Supply Chain Alliance in Canberra speaking there. Just before we go to markets on the country hour, let's talk about the country's best shearers and wool handlers. They're going to put it all on the line in Bendigo tomorrow and Saturday at the National Shearing and Wool Handling Championships. In the Open Division, they're competing to represent Australia at the Golden Shears World Championships in Scotland next year. Darren Bone from Nil has the job of MC and commentator in Bendigo and says it's a chance to see the best of the best. All the best years in Australia out of every single state in Australia, the only state that's not represented is NT. Yep, so if you want to see the best of the best, get your backside to the trackside over at Bendigo on Friday the 25th and Saturday the 26th. Both days are action-packed. On the Friday night, we've actually got a thing called the Trans-Tasman shearing test that's actually australia versus new zealand and if you've never seen that you should get over there and see this this is absolutely fantastic to watch and in the shearing who's who's the shearer to beat well probably at this particular point in time the main man to beat would have to be daniel mcintyre but i think he's won it nine times in a row just lately since the the big king himself's retired shannon warnest um he was in my mind, the best shearer, but Daniel Mack certainly filled his shoes. So he's a very, very good shearer, Daniel McIntyre. There's other, quite a few other pretty handy ones too, don't you, Ari? Darren, quite clearly, we need more shearers in Australia. They're, they're extremely hard to find. Uh, are events like these important to promote the industry and perhaps encourage people to take it up? We certainly need these events because uh, if, you're a, if you have a go at sports shearing, you'll actually be a better quality shearer out in the shed. But like you said, there is a shortage of shearers. The, the Kiwi boys used to come across to Australia. They've upped the ransom over in New Zealand and, you know, it's still not equal to the Australian money, but 
Um, because they pay more money in New Zealand, there's less of those fellas touring around Australia because there used to be quite a lot of those blokes in Australia, which leaves us short. This year's been very, very hard for contractors of Australia-wide. You've seen all the wet weather, all the flooding. There's even places up New South Wales, their sheep are not even going to make the shed and get shorn because it's just too wet. If you're short of a shear, coming over to Bendigo would be an ideal place to come and have a chat to someone or a contract team or a bloke that runs a team. Um, come over and see the best in Australia. That's what you want to witness. You want to see the best of the best. These blokes are true competitors. This is the place to see them Friday and Saturday. Honestly, I just love watching these blokes. <laughs> Darren Bone can can sell uh, very hard on the Australian shearing, National Shearing and Wool Handling Championships tomorrow in Bendigo at the showgrounds there. And in the latest of last-minute decisions... I think I'm going to take the country out of there tomorrow. I think there's a few people there we need to meet and talk about. If you want to break from election coverage or flood talk or anything else that we've been chatting about a lot, tune into the country out tomorrow. We'll go to the National Shearing and Wool Handling Championships in Bendigo, hear from some of the best of the best about what their hopes are and if they're going to be able to compete overseas at those Golden Shears World Championships, which are in Scotland next year. So stay tuned for that on tomorrow's Country Hour. I love a last-minute decision. Let's go to Bansdale Cattle and see if prices were uh, up at the last minute there. Brendan Fletcher has the details. G'day, Brendan. G'day. Warwick numbers decreased to 150. That's 60 fewer, with a small few of buyers operating in a cheaper market. Quality was again in short supply as cows dominated the sale. The sprinkling of prime cattle sold significantly cheaper in places, but were too few to quote. Cows eased 10 to 20 cents, with processors loading cows for an estimated 476 to 667 cents a kilogram carcass weight. Heavy bulls eased 17. A pen of veal has made 500 cents. Ground steers and bullocks 395 to 400. Manufacturing steers 345 to 396. Most light and medium weight cows 180 to 200. Heavyweights 258 to 352. Heavy bulls 313 to 332. This is Brendan Fletcher reporting for MLA. Thanks for that, Brendan. Let's go to Wagga Lambs with Leanne Dax. Good afternoon. 32,000 lambs and 12,000 sheep offered to most of the usual buying group. Quality was notably plainer and it was reflected in the big fluctuations in prices as buyers progressed through the sale. Bidding did intensify for lambs weighing over 26 kilos carcass weight. Well-shaped trade lambs held their values, while plainer types were discounted up to $10. Heavy and extra heavy lambs were firm to $5 dearer, odd sales more. Trade lambs 21 to 24, 170 to 214, 24 to 26, 205 to 242, 26 to 30, 237 to 274, over 30 kilos, 272 to 291. Merino lambs to the trade of small portion 135 to 185 store lamb sold 10 to 15 cheaper with the biggest drop across the lighter weight categories store lamb 70 dollars to 152 merino hoggets 110 to 205 crossbred hoggets 130 to 195 trade sheep are 15 to 30 dollars cheaper 70 dollars to 108 Mutton 26 to 30 kilo, 110 to 130, over 30 kilos, 130 to 168. With the sheep sales still in progress, Leanne Dax, MLA. Thanks for that, Leanne. That's it for the country house. Someone says you better play click, go the shears tomorrow was. I don't know about that, but we'll see how we go. Peter says those shearers should be out getting rid of the black backlog as well. Well, I'll put that to them, Peter. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.